Good morning. It is indeed is a blessing to be able to be here this morning. I was here back in May. I remember on Mother's Day, I was able to speak to you then. Um, I want you to know that uh, Lay Root Baptist Church continues to pray deeply for this body of believers here, praying that God will supply a shepherd for you here soon. But you are in our, in our prayers constantly every week. And we want you to know that. Again, I'm glad to be here today. Nancy, my wife, came with me. Um, I don't, I, I don't mean to boast. Please, I'm not boasting. But in two weeks, we'll be married 54 years, and not boasting. But I, I'm so thankful to my God and Savior for the time that we've had together on this earth. He's blessed us in many, many ways. And I just wanted to let you know that we'll be celebrating that in a couple weeks. We won't be doing anything, but we'll celebrate it somehow. So. Again, uh, as we start today, uh, I'd like for you to turn to Second uh, Peter, chapter 1. Beginning in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supply your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with God, godliness, and godliness with bro, <clears throat> brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all more the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be, there will be richly provided to you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we look into your word this day, and as you speak, through me, Father, we pray, God, that your word would fall upon hearts, yearning to learn, yearning to know more of your love and grace, learning, Father, how to continue in the faith, to defend the faith, to live for you in a world, Father, that rejects you. May we be a shining light to those around us, and may this word this morning 
Pierce our hearts, Father, with the truth of the gospel, that we need to be who we are in Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would open our hearts and minds and our ears to hear your word this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we see in these verses, Peter is on a mission. You know, if you think about the first first Peter, uh, Peter addressed that letter to those dispersed believers in Asia Minor that were being persecuted, and also false teachers were involved here. And he's writing this letter as an encouragement and also a warning to the believers of that day, and also a warning and an encouragement letter to us here today in 2024. This letter of encouragement, again, as I said, also a letter of warning to us. Peter has, has quite a resume behind him. You know, Peter was quite an extraordinary individual, I think. Um, in some ways, he was kind of the, the leaders of the disciples. And in the three and a half years he was with Christ, he witnessed so many things. Um, he witnessed the miracles that Jesus performed. He was at the transfiguration. He was eyewitness to the resurrection. He witnessed Jesus walking on the water. Peter's also a little bit rambunctious, I think. Maybe I'm looking at it wrong, but kind of a go-get-him kind of guy, sometimes getting his cart before the horse. And, you know, Jesus, or Peter was always questioning Jesus. If you remember some of the things he brought to Jesus when Jesus was was teaching and preaching, spreading the word, one of the questions was, I can find my paper here, here we go. Think of these questions, you know. Think about when, remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Peter, remember the question he asked? You wash my feet? You know, of course, that was a humbling uh, feeling from from Peter right there. But he was a, he he questioned, not contradicting Christ, but just trying to figure out what what Christ was doing, what he was preaching, what he was saying. Remember when he said at the Last Supper, when Jesus said he was going to be betrayed, Peter said, "Who is it, Lord?" You know, he's always asking. And he also Jesus told him, he says. I'm going to another place. Peter said, where are you going? Why can't I follow, Why can't I follow you now? Jesus, or Peter, wanted to know everything. But we also see Peter denying Christ. Remember when he denied Christ the night before he was, before he was uh, turned over? Peter had a lot going on in his life. But we also know Peter was a man that Christ built the church on. On this rock I shall build my church. So Peter and Jesus, you know, close. And Peter, when you look at when you look at scripture. I think of someone that's with a lot of energy, 
when you look at the words here, not only in this, in this chapter, but you see where he says, make every effort, you know, be diligent in, in, your, in your life for Christ. Um, be ready to defend the faith. So that was Peter's goal in this letter here. He wanted to encourage the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to stand firm in the wake of what was happening around them. You know, we've, we've never faced persecution like, like those first Christians did. Someday it may come to that. We need to know if we are going to be ready to face that. So... Even though Peter started out kind of questioning questioning Christ and kind of, uh, like I said, getting the cart before the horse, he was a picture of maturity. He never gave up proclaiming the gospel, and he ended up dying a martyr's death. So we need to hear what Peter has to say. He was in the very presence of Jesus Christ. Let's listen to what Peter has to say. He starts by telling all believers that we have attained a faith equal to him and the apostles, not earned. What's that mean? Equal faith. All believers have received the same priceless saving faith. There is no first class and second class Christians. We share the same faith that the first apostles have. We need to remember that. We're all God's children. We've all received the saving faith. We all share the equal gift of salvation because God imputes his righteousness on all of his children, not just the apostles, not just the preachers or whatever, on all of his children. And this is a priceless, priceless saving faith we have received. And it's built on knowing the truth about God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That faith is a capacity to believe. And that faith is initiated on us when the Holy Spirit awakens us to the need for Jesus. And along with faith, we have received grace and peace, which will multiply and grow in us as long as we seek to learn the truth of God and Jesus Christ, which is growing in knowledge. Romans 5.12 tells us, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through whom we also have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. The gifts we've obtained, peace with God, introduced to his grace. God's peace that he gives us, not the peace the world offers or how the world perceives it. And we receive a grace, what, that we didn't deserve. We all know that. We don't deserve one ounce of grace that God has given to us. We also see that he has granted us everything. I think there's a very important verse here. He's granted to us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. 
The true believer knows he or she is eternally secure in the salvation God has given to us. And because of that, we can grow and persevere. Why? We, because we have everything we need in God's word. The, the examples of those that have gone before us. Everything we need to sustain eternal life through Jesus Christ's power. And we have all we need to live godly lives. As we read on in verse 4, he's granted to us his promises. You know, that's, do we think about his promises? I read in a, uh, somewhere this week where a man went through the Bible trying to name all the promises of God in his word. He, he counted over 8,000 promises. Now, maybe his idea of promises is a little bit different than somebody else's, but I've read where there's between eight and 10,000 promises in God's word. I think we all have our favorite ones. He's promised us abundant life, eternal life, being adopted as his, as his children. One of my favorites in Hebrews 13.5, I believe, he will never leave us or forsake us. That's a great comfort to me. I don't know about you, but that brings peace in my heart and assurance when I read that, that promise. We have the promised Holy Spirit. We see that in Ezekiel 36. And we have escaped the power that the rottenness of this world has over us, had over us before we were saved. The sinful nature that ruled over us. You know, this world is, is, is not good. Uh, all you have to do is turn the radio or the TV on or the computer, your phone or whatever. It's a sinful world. It's corrupt. Corruption is still here. Why? Because Satan is still at work. We know that. God's got him on a list that can only go so far, but he causes so much deceitfulness and pain. The corruption is still here. We see it every day. But as believers in Christ, that doesn't control us. We're not strangled by the sinful desires or held captive by them. Remember, we are a new creation. Partakers of the divine nature. Now because we, of what we've just looked at, these first three or four verses, what's been granted to us through the righteousness of Jesus Peter urges us, urges us to make every effort to add to our faith with seven qualities here listed. There may be more, but I think I'm going to look at seven. Now, this, this chapter or this section of, of uh, chapter one, you could preach two or three sermons on each quality. Uh, there's so much there, but we're just going to hit them, all seven of them, just a little bit just to see where we can grow and what we need to do. 
to add to our faith. And again, as I said before, all, all through First and Second Peter, Peter is, is exhorting believers, prepare your minds, be holy, put away all malice and deceit, abstain from fleshly passions, humble yourselves, be all the more diligent, and always be reminded, Peter was a go-getter. He was a motivator. I think if Peter was alive today, he'd make a good coach. I think of uh, a coach or a motivational speaker. Um, you know how a coach is always a devoted, good coaches are devoted to motivating his players to get better, to try harder, to train, to get in shape, give 110%. Why? We look at that as Christians. Why? It's a long road. Our, our Christian walk is a long road. If we're not prepared, you won't last. We'll fade. I think of that, of that movie. I hate to bring this kind of stuff into it so once in a while, but one of my favorite movies ever is Hoosiers. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie or not, but I see that coach in that, in that movie, how he exhorts his players, how he trains them, how he works on them. You see how they grow during that time. Now, I'm not comparing to the, what, what Peter's saying here, but that's not a real good comparison. But I liked how his effort, he never, never say die, okay? I can remember in that movie, they, he had his players running the lines, exercising, passing the ball, and they said, when are we going to start shooting the ball, coach? He was preparing them to what was laying ahead. You know, I remember one of the lines in the movie says, no player of mine will ever stop or quit or wear down before his opponent. Whether they won the game or not, they were going to give it their all to the end. I think that's what Peter's telling us here. You know, give 110%. Remember, it's a long race. We need to be prepared to things around us. We know there's so much going on now that that's trying to influence the believer, trying to change his mind, trying to make him think twice about things. No, stand firm in what God tells us. Stay firm to the end. We need to remember that. The first one here, let's look at it in verse uh, verse 5, make, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. What is virtue? If you would define virtue, I think we've got to look at moral excellence, sexual purity, um, It's rare in today's culture. You know, we see it all over the place. We've got to remember, if people know that we are believers, they're watching us. They're watching what we do at church, at school, at work, on the assembly line, in our families. They're, they're watching us. If they know you're a Christian, they'll see how you react to certain things that maybe uh, could sway them away. 
No, you got to stand firm. Do they see Christ's goodness and kindness in you? That's virtue. Goodness and kindness. Integrity. Are they seeing that in you? God is pleased when we, re we reject the world's immorality and instead practice virtue in our lives. Because that's a big one. Virtue. It's also a person who is kind and generous or one who is above reproach or tries to be above reproach and does not bring refute to the gospel. Refute to the gospel. A life that sh should be seen worthy of imitating. Would you want people around you imitating your life? It should be that way. I think of work. I'm retired now, but I can, I can think of, of work and the opportunities you have to show Christ's love to an unbelieving partner that's working next to you or whatever. Does he see Christ in the way you do your job, the way you treat your boss or you respect your boss? That's virtue. Let Matthew 5, 15, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. When we add to this quality, we add knowledge. Knowledge refers to the divine truth. That's a foundation of spiritual discerning and wisdom. Having or having one's mind enlightened by the truth of God's word. True knowledge starts with a desire to know Christ and to follow him. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. How do we learn of him? How do we do that? By studying and reading and meditating on his word and following him. I think of all the times in my life that I've wasted, that I could have been reading God's word, sharing his word. Really engrossed in the word of God. You know, I've only been an elder for five years. Um, I'm ashamed to say that I've learned more in the last five years than I have my first 40 or so years of being a believer. We take the word of God for granted too many times. It's the word of truth. There is no other truth in this land, in this world, except the truth of God in Jesus Christ. And we're not going to grow in knowledge if we don't read it, if we don't study it, if we don't devote our time to it. If we really want to learn of God and our Savior Jesus, listening to Scripture being read on Sunday mornings is not enough. It's pretty sad when Saturday, next Sunday comes around and you can't find your Bible because you forgot where you laid it down when you came home last Sunday from church. We used to have a, uh, a friend of ours passed away a few years ago that 
very, very faithful servant of God. He, de he developed, he was sick for, I don't know, two or three years. He never, ever stops reading his word, teaching his word. He would drive five, six miles once a week just to teach a Bible 101 class to new believers. And he was sick. And he did it all the time. He, he continued to come, continued to teach. And they found out, finally, he was he traveled many places to find out what was wrong with him. He had ALS. And he died within a few months after that. I remember going and visiting him. My, my wife and I, I think it was only like a month before he passed away. He was still preaching us the word, teaching us the word. See, I can still see him sitting in that chair, as weak and frail as he was, proclaiming his love for Christ and sharing the gospel. What an encouragement. Our pastor is, always teaches us in our walk with Christ through this, in this life to, to remember the goal set before us. You know, we have to keep that in mind in everything we do as sojourners on this earth. Our home is in heaven. We need to strive for that. Live our lives that way. But what I started to say about Tim, Pastor Tim was, one of his favorite lines is, finish well. You know, and we can finish well. But we've got to know God's word. We've got to study it. Now, we'll never learn everything in the Bible. We can't. In our lifetime, there's so much we don't know. But we need to keep learning. Have you ever read a passage of, you think, a hundred times before, and then one day, boom, you really understand what God's trying to teach you. The Holy Spirit's working on you to understand that scripture. I think, I know I've, I've come to that place many times. So we need to devote ourselves to learning God's truth through his word. We all know 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. There it is, training in righteousness, so that the man, man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. So make it a goal, an endeavor to... to to know more of Christ through his word. We add virtue, we add to virtue and knowledge in our faith, going up this ladder of faith, is self-control. And you know self-control is a tough one. I think this might hit home closer to us than anything else. Self-control is like self-discipline. It means having your mind in charge and not your body. That's discipline. You know, we can lose our tempers. We can maybe spend too much money or have a, a bad appetite, work habits, or what we say. We need to control that. 
Colossians 3, 1 through 2 says, if, you, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on earth. The mind, if our minds are fixed on Christ, that will control the body and brings it under submission. So self-control. Self-control, having oneself in abstinence or having power over. Have you ever heard a brother and sister in Christ say, I just can't control myself in this situation? Or that person brings out the worst in me. Or the one I hate the most is, well, God made me this way. That's just the way I am. No. Self-control is something we all need to work on. Remember, we have all we need pertaining to life and godliness. That means we have what we need to have self-control. A man without Proverbs tells, tells us a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The lack of self-control is a work of a fool, a mark of a fool. He is like a city without walls. That means he has no defense against his enemies. And finally, Paul writes some powerful words on this subject. In Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, in godly lives in this present age. So pray that we would seek greater disciplined lives through the help of the Holy Spirit. Adding self-control to knowledge builds a wall that Satan cannot breach, which leads us to this next quality, steadfastness, or I like to say perseverance, to bear up under these words simply, or these words implies patience and endurance in doing right to stand firm in the midst of difficulty. That's what persevering is. Standing firm in the midst of difficulty and trial. But what should be our motivation to do this? Again, as I said before, the prize that awaits us one writer puts it this way, steadfastness or perseverance does not simply accept and endure. There is always a forward look in it, always looking ahead. You know, I have, I'm terrible at illustrations. I don't have many to bring. Pastor Tim has seven kids and I don't know how many grandchildren. He's got a lot of avenues to use illustrations. I try to think of one in my life for perseverance. I was in the army. 1970, I think it was. And I remember going through basic training. And we had, every unit had to do it every every time they went through training. Take a, a hike, I think it was a 10-mile hike, with full, full uh, backpack full of, you know, 
your tent, your mess kit, your canteens, your bayonet, carrying your M16 rifle, and going this 10 mile, I think it was a 10 mile hike, and at Fort Knox, I was at Fort Knox, remember, no, of course you don't remember, Fort Knox has two training spots where they take the troops up this hill. One hill is called Misery Hill, the other one's called Agony Hill. And we had to march all the way up that hill. I remember going up there that one afternoon, all night, all, it must have taken us four hours to climb that hill. But you kept seeing guys drop out along the way, okay? We had to take turns carrying this ammo bucket, this steel ammo bucket full of M16 shells. It was heavy, it must have weighed 40 to 50 pounds. We had to take turns carrying out, that just added to the weight. But guys were dropping out here and there, and we'd see a big old deuce and a half truck coming up, carrying these guys that had dropped out. For a minute we thought, oh man, they've got it made. No, we knew what laid ahead when we got to camp. We knew what they told us would happen. So we made it, I made it, and when I got to that camp, those guys were off on the side, Every one of them had a shovel. Every one of them was digging a hole deep enough that they could stand in. We knew that was going to happen. That, that was a reason to persevere. I know that probably sounds like a silly illustration. But we looked forward to what would lay there. Not only that we didn't have to dig that hole, we was going to have supper, and we was going to have put our tent up and go to bed because we were tired. But that's person. We all have our, our times in our life where we've had to persevere through anything. Christian walk is the toughest. We gotta to remember that. But what? We have everything we need to be able to do that. Perseverance. Hebrews 12, one and two favorite verses. This is, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When you think of the perseverance that Jesus had to go through, he was a perfecter of our faith. He knew the joy set before him. So he endured the cross. Do we know this joy set before us that helps us endure in this life? Again, steadfastness, there's always a forward look, the promise of a future reward and joy. In that steadfastness, we can rest assured that God knows the future. And also remember this, he has begun a good work in us and will what? He'll see it through to completion. Christ is the one that empowers us and enables us to keep going. Next on the ladder is godliness. We hear this term all the time. What's it mean to be godly? I found the best definition is live a life that God wants us to live. Becoming more like God every day, which is to say becoming more like Christ 
all the time. Is Christ being seen in me every day in what I do, what I say, how I do my job, how I treat my spouse, how I raise my children? Are we being obedient to God's law? Is our example of being godly in the world around us drawing people to God to want to know our Savior, or is it driving them away? Remember, remember what Matthew 5 tells us, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, you all know this, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Not that you're such a good guy. No, to give glory to our Father in heaven. We can know scripture. We can memorize verses. We can say all the right things. But does our work show God? As we said earlier, if your friends and co-workers know you claim to be a believer, they're watching you. You know, I, I used to work with a guy that said, well, I'm not going to go to church because they're just a bunch of hypocrites. Well, we're all sinners. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But he didn't see that. One, one pastor says, he heard the same story. He said, I can't go to church because there are a bunch of hypocrites there. And he said, well, come and join us. You know, I don't know whether that's the right thing to say. It's a thing, you know, it does tell us that we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. So we need to remember our witness for God. Living godly lives. Showing his love to a sinful world. Making every effort to please God and obey him. Brotherly love is next. Brotherly, brotherly affection. I think it's mainly meant how you treat your brothers and sisters in Christ. I think it overflows into love in general. But as we saw in the beginning of this passage, God give us, gives us all we need for a godly life through his precious promises. But we must put this free gift to use. This brotherly kindness must be added to our faith. We are commanded to love one another. As we have heard many times, Jesus telling us in Matthew, you, that's not the right one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This was first commanded in the Old Testament law in Leviticus by God as he instructed Moses on how to treat your neighbor. In other words, love signifies our responsibility to seek the greatest good of your brother. The way we look at our 
out for our own interests is how we should look out for the interests of others. Paul, Apostle Paul even takes it a little further. He tells the Philippians to count others more significant than yourselves. This is a radical love that the outside world does not understand. Rarely seen in the world today. We can put this into action. You know, through Pastor Tim, I, I also go back to him again. I remember him t teaching on, this, on how you can love your, your brother by doing your job, by going to work, by earning a living, making your, your money available to those in need. That's a way to show love. Ephesians 4 says, Let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with everyone in need. So we need to look for opportunities to help people, show our love by meeting their physical needs and also their spiritual needs. Again, the world looks at, at this in a different way. The world looks at love as something you give and expecting something in return. We don't do that. As brothers and sisters of Christ, we love because we love our Lord and Savior. And we love because we love our brother and sister. We don't expect anything back if we help them. The scripture says, don't let the right hand and the left hand know what each other's doing. I, that's not the right word, but I'm paraphrasing here. In other words, give without even calling attention to yourself, but giving the glory to God. That's how you can show love. Brotherly kindness. After all, if we claim to love God, we cannot hate our brother. 1 John 4, 19, whoever loves God must love his brother. We should stand out as an example to the world of how we show brotherly love and love in general. Selfless love for us should motivate us to serve others. You know, it's agape, agape love. We've heard of that before. Unconditional, sacrificial love, the same that Jesus has for his children. Remember, we have the love of Christ in us, the love that flows from Jesus into our lives and then through us to others. Romans 5, 5 tells us, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, there's an old missionary by the name of Amy Carmichael. I don't know if you've heard her. She's from the 1800s and 1900s. Longtime missionary to India for 55 years. She talks about love this way. I think of the love of God as our great river, as a great river pouring through us. The waters pour through our ravine like the waters pour through our ravine at flood time. Nothing can keep this love from pouring through except, of course, our own blocking of the river. 
Do you sometimes feel that you have gotten to the end of your love for someone who refuses or repulses you? Such a thought is folly, for one cannot, can't come to the end of what he doesn't have. We have no store of love at all. We are not jugs, we are riverbeds. In other words, we have the love in our hearts. We don't keep it there. We show our love to those around us as riverbeds flowing with God's love to those who need God's grace, who needs our help. God's love has no limits, neither should ours. So we should crown all the qualities in life with the love of Christ. This world, this country, this town, here in Arlington, the town in Leroux, is filled with those that are starving for love. You know, we see bumper stickers saying, God loves you. Or we see people wearing t-shirts saying the same thing. But what is a true mark of a Christian? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as we close this passage of Scripture, there's one more section here. As we end, Peter tells us why we need to make every effort to add to our faith. Not only do we need to have these qualities, they must increase. If they aren't increasing, we'll be ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Christian life is a growing, maturing life. We, don't, we all know that. We can't sit back and become complacent, be spectators, come to church, soak in the word, and then we don't do anything with it. We can't be just spectators. We need to be disciples. You can't think that we've done our part. We've gone to church so, for so many years. I'm going to stop. I'm going to take it easy now. No. The Greek definition for ineffective is barren or sterile. What's that result in? Unproductive. You're being unproductive. We're just kind of treading water. You're not adding to your faith. Peter wanted the early Christians to do more than just have faith. He wanted them to devote themselves to growing deeper, wider, and richer in their faith. Remember, this is some of Peter's final words on this earth. It's like his last will and testament. He knows his life is short, what life he has left. But towards the end, he had a profound spiritual maturity, and he exhorts us to seek that maturity as well. Peter finished well. But we can't confuse maturity with perfection. These seven qualities are always expanding, are ever expanding and ever increasing. We all know perfection will not come to fruition while we're here on earth. No matter how much knowledge we have, there's always more to discover. So if you lack these qualities, you're so nearsighted that you become blind. You've forgotten that your sins have been cleansed. It's time to examine your heart. 
Therefore, again, Peter exhorts us, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your, your election. Like what John Piper says, first of all, in, in verse 10, 11 of 1 Peter 1, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if, if you practice these things, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Piper describes his verses this way. These qualities are not the wages that we pay to earn entrance into heaven, but they are the necessary evidence that our trust in God's promise is genuine. And in that way, they are the confirmation of our call and election. But that's a good way to put that. We, again, we don't earn it. It's not what we pay to entrance our, for our entrance into heaven. But we need this. We need this growth in our faith as evidence that our trust in God's promise is genuine. And we can have complete assurance of our salvation. So don't be lazy in your faith. Don't drift away from Christ, who is our hope. Fight the good fight, holding on to eternal life. Lay aside sin, run with endurance the race set before us, as Paul has told us. Press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. To advance and grow, and to go forward in goodness and knowledge, and in self-control and perseverance, in godliness and brotherly affection, and most of all, love. And in this way, to reassure our hearts and make our confidence firm that we are indeed called to share in God's glory. So that is our mission here, Peter's mission. Grow in our faith. Stand firm. Know what you believe. There's going to come a time when we have to defend our faith. May it have already come to some of us. We need to be ready. We need to know God's word. Grow in his knowledge. Again, as I close, some of you may be here today that don't know Christ, that have never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we, we know the scriptures say that we've all sinned, we've all short. Romans tells us, uh, thinking of Romans 3.10, it slipped my mind all of a sudden. There's no one righteous. No one understands. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if you're here today and have never recognized or acknowledged God who has sent Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord. Think about that. Those of us here who are believers, we've all been there before the Holy Spirit enlightened us, regenerated our hearts and brought us to the saving knowledge of Christ. You know, I always, of course, we all know John 3.16, the great verse of salvation and hope. We see it 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We, I always get a kick out of when I see a, a, on TV at a football game or baseball game, someone sticks up John 3.16. Great. That's great. People need to see that. But someone needs to stand beside this guy with verse 17 and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. So I encourage you here this day. If you have never come to Christ, you are outside of God's grace. You need to repent. Call upon Jesus to save you. He has, he can save you. And he has saved you through the blood, his shed blood on the cross, bringing us to salvation. So remember that this day. Let's pray. Father, we pray that as we close this part of the service this day that we would be reminded how much we need to be in tune Father with your word how we can show it to others how we can spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world and how we also need to grow make every effort to grow our faith to be ready to, to defend it to be ready to share it because we know hard days could be coming ahead. But we also know, Father, we have everything we need in life and godliness because of Jesus Christ. We can trust in the promises that you have laid before us, that you will always be with us and never forsake us. No one can snatch us from your hands. Thank you for that great security. Thank you for your word that is truth, truth that we can believe and we can live and show to others. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.